From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, MIGS in 2019 and depot glaucoma medications at ASCRS. They're poorly controlled. That's kind of the other side of the coin, obviously. Now what do we do? We, we need more pressure reduction. I think they've kind of proven that their outflow system, their natural outflow system, is probably not enough. First this. I know many of the audience of this scene from here also watch my live conference interviews on ewreplay.org. These brief video programs highlight the most important news from major ophthalmology meetings and number in the hundreds every year. But if you haven't watched ewreplay.org recently, you've got to check it out. iWorld Replay has really upped its game with super video production and fantastic content. ewreplay.org, we've just renovated and we'd love to have you over. I had the opportunity to interview a number of people advancing the forefront of ophthalmology during the annual meeting of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery in San Diego. Edited versions of these interviews are presented on the iWorldTV.com website as brief videos. I'm going to present these interviews in their entirety over a number of podcasts. Today, we hear from Carlos Buznego on MIGS, and Jacob Brubaker on surgical management of the non-compliant glaucoma patient. Welcome to this iWorld live event. Uh, We're in our beautiful new studio. I'm so happy that you're here. Uh, And I'm so happy that you're here, Carlos Buznego. Uh, We're going to be talking about uh, MIGS. Um, And let let me ask you this. Before we, obviously, there's a lot that we could talk about. Uh, I'm sure that we're going to talk at least, you know, what, one, two hours here. It's going to be exciting stuff. Um, it'll feel like three. Yeah, it'll, it'll feel like three. So, uh, uh, what in glaucoma doesn't? <laughs> um, uh, but let 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 me ask you to help me with the conversation that that I have with uh, my established, i.e., older colleagues. Um, make the case for MIGS, because I think that it is very difficult to justify not offering it. Um, I, I agree. I think that. Uh, when MIGS originally came around, I think there was a lot of question of why MIGS. And I think once we had good clinical data from the FDA trials where the comparison is, medi- is cataract surgery plus MIGS versus cataract surgery alone, we set a pretty high bar for the safety level. So I think uh, you know, every, all we do on a, on a daily basis is about risk and benefit. So I think once we establish that the, that the risk of MIGS is equivalent to cataract surgery alone, talking about combined surgery, I think to me it's a no-brainer that we're going to try to solve two problems at the same time. Yeah, so, and the, 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 the criticism, I promise you, I'm actually going to get on to MIGS. I'm not, not just these people. Um, but uh, the, the, the criticism that, that, that these folks make is, uh, number one, that they're not glaucoma um, people, which of course is wrong because anyone who is in practice is a glaucoma person because those are the patients we have. But number two, that it's not as, as effective as, uh, as a traditional glaucoma blood-forming uh, procedure, and which always to me sounds like I'm, I'm not going to buy a car because it's not an airplane. Right. Well, I, I totally agree with you. I think looking at, looking at 
MIGS with compared to traditional filtering surgery and tube surgery, it's not the same animal. And oftentimes it's really not the same patient. Really the indication for uh, the currently uh, approved FDA implants for, for MIGS, the iStent, the iStent Inject, uh, the Hydrus device, are really all approved cataract surgery plus glaucoma in mild to moderate glaucoma. So we're not trying to hit a grand slam home run. We're trying to get on base and maybe steal second. And if we can get a few points of pressure without medications or a few extra points of pressure with the same number of medications, I think we have to consider that sort of a, a controlled success. Yeah, no, so so let's say that, that I've, I've, I've won them over and they say, okay, Young, I'm going to try it out, okay? What I want to recommend to them is the sort of optimal first patient and more importantly, the optimal first MIGS device because there are multiple choices. Right, I think when your optimal first patient um, Really, the, with the, the, the safety profile we have, I guess the question is, who am I going to avoid it in? I think really just setting the table for patient expectations. So I wouldn't use it in a patient who's uncontrolled on three medications. That's not really this device. So I think a patient on one or two medications, a patient who's controlled or sort of fairly controlled, maybe a patient having difficulty with medications, whether that's uh, inability to put them in because of physical problems, uh, issues with cost, issues with access to medications. That's a person who you're, you're really going to solve a problem for them. So I think those are good patients because, you know, if, if we can, have, again, have limited success, we're, we're going to have happy patients. How, how should I tell them to counsel their, their, their patients? Because they're not used to talking to patients about MIGS. Uh, what, what, what is it that they're going to tell the patient that MIGS is, is going to offer so that the patient understands what the benefit is without overpromising? Uh, I think that's critically important. I think as we uh, develop as, as ophthalmologists, we come up with sort of sound bites. And I think the sound bite that I talk about is you have cataracts, and we're, I mentioned they have a visually significant cataract, and I mentioned that in the old days, we would have done cataract surgery, sort of ignored your glaucoma, and you'd still be on drops likely long term. And here we can try to kill two birds with one stone. It's a, just going to add a, a few minutes to your procedure. Uh, most of the time there's not a patient cost if they have insurance coverage and we check that ahead of time. Uh, so I sort of just sort of say we can kill two, try to till, kill two birds with one stone and, and if, we, if we don't, if we aren't able to reduce our medications, we're sort of back at square one, but we really don't lose any territory. Again, that FDA trial data showed the complication rate, cataract plus stent in all three of those devices, the eye stent, the eye stent inject, and the hydrus were basically equivalent to cataract surgery alone. So we're not going to lose anything and we've got a, probably about a 75% chance of getting you off medications. Uh, I do... Um I do MIGS uh, TM-based surgery, so I do um, TM bypass devices, and I do goniotomy. What is a a a, a good and I, I the way that I started doing MIGS was as devices came on board, I added them to my repertoire. So I was never faced with what people are faced with now, which is multiple initial choices. What is a good first MIGS for someone who is accomplished at cataract surgery to get his hands dirty with? Well, I, for me, I think the, the critical uh, factor we have now, we have some stents that are approved in that FDA trial that I keep referring to. It's real data over several years. And I, so I like the implants as my first starting point for patients who are going to get combined cataract and, and glaucoma surgery. So we have the original eye stent. Uh, the iSTEN Inject and the Hydrus device. 
to me, I think that the, high, the iStand Inject is really the most straightforward of the devices. Um, we find trabecular meshwork, and there's some practice in finding trabecular meshwork and really practice with gonioscopy. But once we can identify the tissue, you implant the trocar, tr hit the trigger, and for the most part, that, that stent's going to deliver to the right spot. Um, the Hydrus device is also a, an excellent device, and it has excellent efficacy. It's a, probably a little bit trickier. You get a little bit touchier on the angle. Uh, there's uh, some physical scrolling of the wheel that, that just it's a few extra seconds, but a few extra seconds you've got to be in the right spot. So that uh, some, some folks had issues with the original iStent that maybe was a little trickier. I think the iStent Inject is easier. The Hydrus is maybe equivalent, maybe a little more difficult than the, the original iStent. It's definitely doable. It's definitely in the, in the wheelhouse of most cataract surgeons, but just maybe a little bit, a little bit of extra time and effort of, of getting that uh, approach down. And once more, there are, uh, there are TM-based uh, non-device options like goniotomy, the Cook dual blade, uh, which are really, you know, w within the scope of this sort of, sort of mix. If we were having this, this conversation in the past, we would now start talking about suprachoroidal stents. Uh, hopefully at some point in the, in the future we can have that conversation. We're going to skip it now. We've now reached the, the border where I feel my territory ends and yours keeps going, and that is with MIGS procedures that produce blebs, uh, what's sometimes called MIGS+. Plus. Are these appropriate um, initial forays into MIGS for people who have not been, been doing MIGS? Who are the right patients for it? And is this a territory into which a comprehensive person should venture anyway? Um, I do think that, that uh, a comprehensive ophthalmologist can go the route of the subconjunctival uh, MIGS procedures. I would think there's, you have to have a little bit more comfort level in dealing with glaucoma. So we're talking about things like, like the Zen here. Correct, so the Zen device is indicated for refractory glaucoma, which presumably means a patient who's on maxim, maximal medical therapy maybe failed a laser and or failed an incisional procedure. So this is a more advanced patient, usually an uncontrolled patient. So again, it's a different sort of uh, management. Again, I think the, the original devices are a little more uh, in, again, in the wheelhouse of somebody who comes in with cataracts and controlled glaucoma, which we see all the time. About 20% of our patients in the Medicare data look like they have cataracts and glaucoma. So these patients are really, to some extent, uncontrolled, or maybe a patient who's on borderline control and now is having issues with the medication. So I think it has to be someone who's, it could be a comprehensive person who's maybe a little more um, facile or comfortable dealing with some of the more advanced. Uh, the technical part of the procedure is not exceptionally difficult and I think it's it's something that can be it's in the skill set of cataract surgery I think the question is how comfortable that surgeon is in dealing with some of the more advanced or refractory glaucoma and in dealing with the different sort of post-operative management uh, that's that's involved with anything that produces a blip this conversation has been uh, geared towards I've, I've tried to to confine it to people who are um, Naive to, to I mean, naive in the sense that they have, haven't done MIGS yet, uh, and to discuss what the, what the different options are. Normally, it is not appropriate in a conversation like this to discuss off-label use. But there is one, I feel, really important off-label category that it would be unfair not to, to discuss with uh, MIGS, which is this. MIGS is on label, the, the devices generally are on label for mild to moderate uh, glaucoma. 
There are patients with glaucoma that is more advanced who are on multiple medications whose condition is stable who are really not TRAB candidates because their glaucoma is, is stable. This is an off-label MIGS use, but to me, saying that someone's glaucoma is too, I mean, I'm talking for myself here, 100%. For me to, to, to say that someone's glaucoma is too advanced uh, for MIGS is like saying your glaucoma is too advanced for prostaglandin. It, it doesn't make sense doesn't if I'm not offering, right, if I'm not offering, if they're not someone who, in anyone's hands, would be recommended a, a TRAB or a tube, and they have glaucoma, to me, they're a candidate for a mix. I agree with you a thousand percent. It's really not whether they're advanced or not. I think it's whether they're controlled or not or out of control. So I think that's critically important. And so that patient who has advanced glaucoma by definition might have a controlled pressure, but on two or three meds, if you can get one or two of those meds off. And again, uh, there's the old saying, you can never be too rich or too thin. You can never be too rich, too thin, or have a low enough intraocular pressure. That's the... I That's said, I said it here right now, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, so I, I agree with that. It really is, is for me, that's, uh, it, now I, it recently I've had, had some pushback at times from some insurance carriers saying, wait a minute, now with the wonders of EMR, say, wait a minute, you've been calling this patient advanced glaucoma, and now you're, you're offering one of the MIGS devices, the, the iStand or iStand injector hydrus, and they're not in that category. And at times that's when it's using some of the other procedures, so goniotomy or canaloplasty with goniotomy, the Omni device or the iTrack device, there's some other sort of tools in the toolbox that we can use when, uh, Unfortunately, though, it's a decision made because of insurance reasons at times, not because of what we yeah, think is the best option. Yeah, but more and more of practice is now. Yeah, I mean, which, which medications I'm on, all of this sort of stuff. Um, yeah, and, 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 and then to just sort of follow that, 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 that through. The reason that you mentioned the procedures and techniques that, that, you, that you just did is because the, the labeling is, is different. And some of these, uh, like uh, goniotomy and like Zen, uh, are approved as standalone also, which means that once, uh, once one gets comfortable doing MIGS, uh, these are other procedures that we can offer for people who are, you know, who are pseudophagic. Uh, things that uh, we can go in and we can do later on and are uh, covered for, for the for right. the patient. Right, and I do. I think that's where, uh, as a surgeon gets comfortable with the combined kinds of cases, and now you're starting to deal with some more glaucoma, now you're going to have patients who had maybe who've already had cataract surgery, whether it was yours or, or, or elsewhere, and now we're going to have to look at it. And that's where I think some of the, the goniotomy, canaloplasty, trabeculoplasty uh, techniques are, offer some, some good options. However, we don't really have great long-term data on those because, again, they went uh, via 510K route, which doesn't require these controlled clinical trials. So that's, but it's, but it's a better option than tubes, trabs, or watching people slowly lose vision from glaucoma. So right, and of course, none, none, none of the procedures that you mentioned preclude their subsequently getting tubes or uh, right. Drugs. And I, I think that's actually another thing. I think limited success is okay, and knowing that I'm trying to avoid this, uh, this other procedure, this uh, uh, traditional tube and filtering, but now. I think that it's going to change up again. Now we've got the Zen device, and and uh, there's an, another device, the the in focus micro shunt that's sort of maybe in the wings shortly. It's not yet FDA approved, and I think both of those are going to allow this what what's often kind MIGS plus the ability to do a 
minimally invasive, but subconjunctival filtration procedure. And I think that's that's uh, changing the game. And it's the nice, the neat thing is, I, I think the question used to be why MIGs, and then the question was when MIGs, and now it's which MIGs, and that that's evolving really on a on a monthly basis. Yeah, this is this is great stuff, Carlos. I want to thank you. This is this is this used to be a very small topic. And as with IOLs now, I mean, it's become this very, very large topic with a lot of different options. And it's, it's very difficult to, you know, as a novice to sort of wind your way through it. So I want to thank you very much for being our guide through this, this forest, this horse that I've completely beaten to death yeah. at this point. <laughs> I um, appreciate the invitation. And I want to thank you, our live viewing audience. I learned a lot speaking with, with Carlos. Uh, I'm sure that you guys did too. I'm here with Jacob Grubaker. Jacob, we're talking about an important subject today. We're going to be talking, because I'm going to start out with something else. Okay. We're going to be talking about um, managing glaucoma in the context of cataract surgery. But I want to start out first talking about managing glaucoma before cataract surgery. Okay. So my patients are 100% compliant, but I understand that I'm, <laughs> I'm unique in, in this. No, of course I'm joking. Right, of course. Um, so uh, how does your assessment of compliance play into the way that you manage a particular patient? And again, we're not talking right. about surgery here. No, I, think, I think it's definitely something that we have to ask, first of all. I, I, I think to your point, we all are live in this bubble where we think, well, my patients are compliant, but the ones that the studies have been on are other patients in other cities, they're not compliant. And so the first question is really asking the patients and, and asking in a way that they feel comfortable answering. Um, because in, in some degree, you know, in my particular case, I'm a young ophthalmologist. They, they show up and it's kind of like their grandson is lecturing them on something. And then nobody likes that, obviously. And so if, if you couch it in a way of, hey, well, everybody misses on occasion. How often do you feel like you miss taking your eye drops? Uh, they're much more open and able to talk about it and not feel like they're going to get a lecture. And then discussing it, I think, on the next step is, is finding out what their compliance level is and then assuming that they're probably overstating it a little bit, just like the fish story. Um, where, but I think then discussing what techniques are plausible to help them to improve their compliance. I think in some aspects it's really talking about helping them to understand the disease. Uh, in many cases people have been bouncing around from doctor to doctor and I may just assume that they know what, they're, what they have and it's important to actually instruct them and, and tell them what the difference is going to be by taking their eye drops. And I think education, understanding, that, that goes a long ways. So um, uh, there, there are patients who uh, come in um, I'll pretend that they're from other doctors, but right. often from, from, from me, they were on one, two, three, now they're on four medications, right. and you know, so there are four medications that they're not putting in as opposed For to sure. one that right. they're not putting yeah. in. Um, so we, we I, I will go with some patients through eye drop training. We'll sure. go through everything, the importance of, of compliance. You and I both know some people just can't do it. I for mean, sure. it's not for, for, for want of uh, trying. They just can't manage it. For those patients, is there anything that you do differently? And what I'm interested in is whether you would be more, and again, we're not talking about cataract surgery yet. We're going to get there. Uh, are these patients for whom you would be more eager to 
recommend a procedure which will, to some extent, take compliance out of their hands? Yeah, no, I think definitely. I, I think, uh, once again, addressing their issue. So if, if it's dexterity, right, um, sometimes the smaller bottle doesn't work and, and giving them a bigger bottle or, or um, remembering, talking about apps and having them kind of get little reminders and things like that. But if the issue is just straight on compliance, they just can't remember, or they don't want to remember, then, yeah, you do, I think you have to take it out of their hands a little bit and move on to some kind of a procedure. And I think SLT is a good option. Um, I tend to use SLT early to kind of avoid this problem in the first place. Uh, but if they've been kind of through the ringer, they've jumped around, I'm surprised at how often patients will come to me on three, four medications, and they've never heard about SLT. And, and so I think that's a prime opportunity to, to treat them, take that out of their hands a little bit, uh, and improve hopefully their outcomes. Um, beyond that, I think, you know, obviously moving on to real surgery is, is the next question. And, and so it's kind of assessing that. And sometimes, honestly, I'm a surprise as a glaucoma specialist, a lot of times patients are sent to me, they'll have a pressure of 25 in the other office, they'll see me and they're 14. I think they almost just got scared into compliance. Um, not that that's really a good tactic, but I think just talking about surgery and having that discussion with them helps them to realize the seriousness of their disease and that, that may improve compliance as well. We're, we're almost at surgery here. Sure, we're yeah, nearly yeah, there. Sure, yeah. uh, what I want to know is, is this. So you have someone who uh, has glaucoma um, who needs cataract surgery. Sure. Is there anything that you do in the run-up to cataract surgery sure. um, to help you, to help guide you in what your surgical plan is going to be? I think definitely. I, I think one of the issues is whether they're t to target or not, right? So if somebody comes in and they have severe glaucoma and their pressure is 12, it's very easy to recommend doing a relatively benign mix procedure with the thought of con maintaining their control but reducing their eye drops. Whereas somebody else that's coming in out of control, say they're on one eye drop and their pressure is 25, I don't really feel like they're under control at that point. But they still have some room to grow as far as their eye drops are concerned. And so I, I take that opportunity to say, hey, we're going we're gonna to start you on this additional eye drop. It's not necessarily something you're going to be on forever. But our goal is to see how well controlled you can be leading into surgery. If, if that drop works very well and they come back and their pressure's under control at that point, I feel much more comfortable doing a less invasive procedure. However, if that drop didn't really touch them and their pressure's still 25, for example, then I feel like I have to be a little bit more aggressive because I can't lean back on that eye drop because it's already been proven to be ineffective. And so I, I, I use that as a little bit of an algorithm chooser, I guess, to determine which procedure I'm going to use in conjunction with the cataract. So that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great point. I'm, I'm going to, to simplify it a little bit, which is, is that you, you are assessing it in addition to, to, to compliance, whether the patient's glaucoma is stable or whether you can, in the perioperative, in the preoperative period, stabilize it. Sure. Um, because your approach is going to be different whether the glaucoma is stable or is not stable. Exactly. Okay, super. I, 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 I gotcha now. Okay, so we're, we're, we're finally there. Yeah. You and I are finally at surgery now. Okay. So I, I, I've just one last sort of prelude. Sure. And it, it, it's an easy setup, and then I, I, I want to explain why I, why I asked this. For patients with mild to moderate or moderate to advanced or 
what, whatever, let's say mild to moderate sure. glaucoma, how important is it to treat it? At all? At all in any context. Is this anything that you would blow off that you would say, you've got mild glaucoma, it's mild, I'm going to let it go? I can't see a reason why ne yeah, Never, right? Not. Okay. Yeah. So I have this discussion with my colleagues who have not yet adopted MIGS. Okay. And, and I say, look, if you're telling me that mild to moderate stable glaucoma is still something worth treating, then why the hell aren't you doing MIGS? Yeah, okay. That's a good point. That's a good point. So, so now we are, we are at MIGS. Um, how, do, well, so I'm, I'm going to ask you to elaborate on the last point that, that you made, which is um, depending upon your assessment of their stability, you make different surgical choices. Flesh that out. Yeah, so I, I think there's, there's really two areas that we're looking at at this point. We have patients that are amenable to a trabecular meshwork-based procedure versus a transcleral procedure. And so I think really at, at this point, it's really looking at if they're well-controlled, then I'm leaning more towards a trabecular-based procedure. Um, at that point, there's, there's more branching points, unfortunately. There's just so many different options at this point to really flesh it out. And, and I think if they have very mild glaucoma, I think in my mind, I'm thinking iStand is very safe, very, very small device, um, unlikely to cause any difficulties down the road as far as post-operative hyphemas, things like that. And now we have the iStand Inject, which allows us to deliver two, two iStands at the same time. And so I think in those cases, that's kind of where I would head towards. If they're a little bit more, they need a little bit more oomph, a little bit more um, pressure reduction, we have the opportunity of using the hydrus, and I think that's a great uh, tool in, in that case. Both TM-based procedures, both very safe, uh, but I think that that's kind of where my, my mindset is at this point, if they're well-controlled needing a cataract surgery. If they're poorly controlled, that's kind of the other side of the coin, obviously, is now what do we do? We, we need more pressure reduction. I think they've kind of proven that their outflow system, their natural outflow system, is probably not enough. And, and so that, at that point, I'm leaning towards more of a subconjunctival Zen-type procedure or something like that to do in conjunction with their cataract surgery. So uh, I am a, a, a cornea-trained person. My, my practice is comprehensive, though. Um, I uh, enjoy doing uh, TM-based MIGs. I enjoyed doing superchoroidal okay. uh, MIGs, I, I draw the line at, at a bleb. I'm not, I'm not doing sure. anything with a, with, a, with a bleb. But even having said that, my doing MIGs as a, as a comprehensive person, is, am I treading on your turf? And the reason that, that, that I asked that is, is that initially MIGs was marketed to glaucoma sure. people. It was not an, um, initially something uh, meant for, for the, the simple folk like me. So I, I think that I, I would say the inverse is actually true. Rather than being angry that or, or my turf is being taken over by comprehensives, it's actually, to your point earlier, that if you're not incorporating MIGs, you're still doing cataract surgery. So, so the thing that makes me the angriest, when a patient comes to see me after their cataract surgery, now they're out of control um, and they did not have a MIGs or any kind of procedure at the time of the cataract surgery, and now that opportunity is lost. Um, unfortunately, right now, due to FDA constraints, 
high stents, hydras, those type of things are really constrained to only be used at the time of cataract surgery. Goniotomy isn't though. I mean, correct, so that's, correct. That, so you can so, you can still do that, but it but those options are kind of now off the table. And yeah. so so in and my it's mind, and surgery. Yeah, and and so in my mind, they they missed the boat already. And so I would much pref much rather prefer comprehensive doctors to learn and, and do ice dents, hydros, those types of things well and address that. It's possible it may not be enough, right? And I, I think you have to make a, a good choice, right? So if, if somebody has a pressure of 30, 35 and you're putting in one ice dent at the time of the cataract surgery, probably not the best choice. Um, so as long as they're making appropriate choices and treating them, I think that's perfectly within their in their frame of practice, you know, their scope of practice, um, and and then referring them when needed. Plenty of patients that I do iced or hydrus fail, and that's the reality of what we're dealing with. And and the same thing might hold true for a comprehensive doctor. And so I don't hold that against them at all. And I'd I'd, I'd much rather them actually incorporate those uh, techniques into their practice. So. Um Eye drop therapy and laser therapy, that's all that, that, that we had in the, in the past. Sure. Now we, uh, we, have, we have MIGs. Granted, there are going to be more MIGs in the, in the, in the future, but we're really sure. in the era of uh, MIGs now. We're on the threshold of, of, of another era that also deals with compliance. And this is not surgical, although they usually involve some sort of, of procedure. Sure. Uh, and these are... Uh, sort of depot medical therapy. So what what's exciting you uh, that, 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 that we're sort I think of on the Yeah, I think that's, that's a great point, obviously. So at this point, we've kind of, the only real options that we've had to take compliance out of the patient's hands has really been SLT uh, and surgery. And, and so these give us options to hopefully be as effective, if not more effective, um, in treating their glaucoma without surgery, really. And so... Uh, Bumatoprocessor is, is probably the one that's closest to market at this point, uh, and and I, I think that that's that's really exciting at this point to be able to uh, provide a depot of, of that medication um, that should be sustaining at least four months, maybe longer, um, and and allow their pressure to be under better control. And uh, you know, time will kind of tell where that fits as far as our algorithm is concerned. Uh, we were involved in the in the trial for that, and so we had some experience with it, and, and it works, and, and patients were happy with it. They were willing to, to undergo a minor procedure to have it done. And, and talking to the patients afterwards, they, they were satisfied with it. So I, I think going forward, I think that'll be a game changer. Um, Glaucos is also working on iDose um, that's delivered right into the TM and, and presumably is supposed to last even longer. So I think we're just at the cusp, like you said, of that revolution of sustained release products uh, that, that might actually be able to help us to kind of avoid surgery in, in some of these patients. And, and I, I, I'm, I am, I'm absolutely confident that um, that adoption, at least on, on a patient level, is going to be fairly high. And the reason that, that, I, that I say this is, is that I'm sure you, you've, you've seen this too, although you, I, I, may be, I may be more in a position to initiate glaucoma therapy yeah. than you are because you're seeing people on multiple therapies. But the first question that, that, that the patients ask when you put them on that first drop is, am I going to be on this for the, for the, for the rest of my life? And uh, for the last couple of years, I've been saying in all likelihood, no, there are depot medications coming out that, that, that will, will relieve you of uh, doing this. And, 
you know, uniformly, the patients are champing at the bit. Yeah. No, I, I, and I think it, whatever we have first is going to be the tip of the iceberg. And, and I think iStent is a perfect example of that. Absolutely. Um, yeah. that we had the iStent G1, and, and now who really uses the G1 at this point? We've kind of moved on to the next iteration. And I assume that the same thing will hold true with these depot products, that it'll just be kind of the tip of the iceberg. And hopefully, you know, more medications will be amenable to being placed in the eye, and, and we'll go forward. And I think it will really revolutionize the way we treat glaucoma. Jake, I want to thank you very, very much for uh, making this all, you know, very, very clear. We, it, I, I like how you've sort of laid things out, and we've, you know, knocked them down one, one by one. Uh, the, the, I think, more than a learning of some, some, some new lens or some new FACO technique, which are certainly valuable, and this meeting is the place for it. Um, the things that you're talking about are going to change the way that we manage multiple patients every single day. And I just want to thank you for the generosity of your, of your time with us today. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Carlos Buzneco is Clinical Associate Professor at the Florida International University College of Medicine and the Center for Excellence in Eye Care in Miami, Florida. Jacob Brubaker comes to us from Sacramento, California. Ask questions of Dr. Busnego, Dr. Brubaker, or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at josh at iWorld.org. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.